Welcome to the Black Moose First Podcast. I'm your host, Alton Jamison. I've made the journey from having an incarcerated father to becoming an engineer to transitioning to a professional speaker and author. And now I am the founder and chief chess player of Black Moose First. Black Moose First is a company that offers chess boards and accessories, apparel and personal development products that empower people like you to change the world one move at a time. In the game of chess, white pieces always move first, which is an advantage, and the black pieces move second, which is a disadvantage. Black moves first is more than an oxymoron in chess. Instead, it calls for people to strive for success, even when the odds are against you. To strive for success, even when you may not have the advantages of others. Our motto is, changing the world one move at a time. This podcast explores the stories of how people have overcome adversity to make their own moves and change their own world, whether in the game of chess or in the game of life. Well, thank you, everyone, and welcome back. This is the Black Moves First Podcast, Episode 4. And today, I, I have a gentleman who I would consider a friend. This is a wonderful brother, uh, Mr. Brandon Lee White. So how you doing today, bro? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Good, man. Good, man. It's great to uh, great to have you on the call, man. So just what's been going on, man? I know it's been COVID and all these other things going on. How have you been the past year? Good. Well, you know, I've been speaking to students around the country uh, on character and leadership for the past 11 years. And uh, this last 2020 was like a, a break in the scene of a play. You know, it was like this, like this scene change. It was like, whoa, this big shift of being on the road, traveling, flying, speaking in, in schools in person. And then all of a sudden, like nothing, you know, school shut down. So that kind of forced me to be like, all right, what do I want to do with this time? So I've been doing a lot of stuff and we can talk about that. But the main thing is I've been, you know, working on my relationship with my children, with my wife. So it's been a blessing because I feel like my marriage and my relationship with my kids are better than ever. So it's like, yeah, I took a hit financially in 2020 and it's starting to come back slowly, but I got something out of it also. And like out of every hardship, there's something that's taken from you, but there's also something that's given to you. And I feel like I got a lot out of it. So I'm doing good. That's good, man. I, you know, you said a lot of gems uh, just in that, uh, you know, 2020 is really one of those things where it's either going to be a stepping stone or a stumbling block. And I know a lot of people in the industry, the speaking industry, they had to adjust. I mean, it was really, as they say, you got to pee or get off the pot. So I mean, I think in 2020, a lot of people made that adjustment. So, so Brandon, there are a lot of people who hear the term professional speaker, but how, how did you arrive there? Because very few people go to school or wake up one day and say, I want to be a professional speaker. I mean, tell us the journey a little bit. Man, if you saw me when I was in kindergarten, you would never guess I'd be a motivational speaker. I, I, I share this in my speeches. I share this story about this little kid who went to school and the kids made fun of him because he couldn't speak. He had a speech impediment. You know, like even his parents, his, his brother couldn't understand him. One day his parents came to school, the teacher pouring out at recess and the kid was all by himself. Nobody would play with this kid because he was different. They made fun of him. So they put him in speech class. He had to say the red rabbit ran up the road because ours were hard. So he's like, "Red." And I think the number one fear out of all of us is not death, it's embarrassment. And we learn early on, when we're not good at something, you better not do that. Because if you do it, you're gonna be bad at it, you're gonna get made fun of it. So don't take risks, right? So this kid, red, red rabbit, so he gave up. Teacher tried telling him, say something. The parents said, come on, try, say something. This kid went a whole day without talking. But when he went to bed and he woke up the next day, he realized he didn't feel any better. So he went back to speech class and he kept trying and he kept trying. And finally, one day he said, rabbit. And he was able to go back to the school with the other students and 
and speak. But the problem is, even though he could speak, he didn't know what to say. His, his, his self-esteem was low. So this little kid, and I, I share this throughout the speech, grew up and there finally was some people in his life who helped influence him, who helped teach him that there's something more inside of him that pushed him in things like um, sports. He wanted to be a basketball player, but he was out of shape. He ate too much junk food. So there was a friend in cross country who helped run with him all summer long and pushed him and pushed him. He ended up being undefeated in cross country, going from last to first. And then the same kid, he went on to become varsity in basketball. He went on to become a student council president of his school where he saw a motivational speaker and said, I want to do that. And that little kid was me. And that's the power of leadership, of, of other people reaching into your life. Um, that's the power of it doesn't matter where you start. It matters how you finish and what you do through the middle of it. And that's beautiful, man. My uh, my football coach would always say it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And I remember uh, being in, I think, 12th grade and my I had good grades. I was a student athlete and my physics teacher uh, said Alton or AJ by my nickname said, well, what do you want to do uh, You know, after high school? And he says something about, you know, being an engineer. And I said, well, man, I'm too stupid to be an engineer. And I was comparing myself to the guy who had, you know, a little bit higher GPA or he got a straight A on the test and I got to be modest. And he told me you are good enough. And that whole mindset um, is what pushed me, you know, into going into school to becoming an engineer. And I think you said a lot is that there are so many people who get in their mind that, I'm not good enough and, you know, I'm not this enough. When you, when you speak, Brandon, what are, what are some of the things or tips that you share to the audiences that you speak to? My big message is own it. To own who you are, what you want, and to old, own what holds you back, which is usually you. It, it's your fears. It's your excuses. It's your doubt. It's your pride. It's your arrogance. It's your laziness, Right. So I do this thing called Own It Day where, you know, I can come to schools and conferences and give speeches, but I love this thing I do called an Own It Day. It's right, where right. I go to school and we start with the speech to get students motivated and on the same page. But then we move into um, a group activity. And I used to be a, a former ballroom dance instructor. So I get all the students dancing swing dance or salsa dance. So they're not only taking ownership of this idea taking ownership of this feeling, they're, they're taking ownership of an opportunity to step out onto the gym floor and practice what we've been preaching, to put it into action. And then I do some, I do a workshop and do some student leadership training and stuff. But this whole idea is it doesn't matter what you want. It matters what you do about what you want. A, a wish, you know, it's kind of like a wishbone is nothing without a backbone. You got to have the backbone to, to, to back up the wishbone to make it a reality. That's awesome, man. Uh, you know, what What are some of the amazing stories that you've seen over the years when you begin to share your message with students? Are there any particular students or stories that that stick out to you? I know being in that professional speaker around myself uh, for a while, uh, you know, you always have those one or two students or stories that that really stick with you. Yeah. I got several. I got one I'm thinking of in one of my books. Um, this is my book for student leaders called uh, Don't Be a Lame Sauce. I love that, man. I love and, that. Uh, available on Amazon and everything, but several stories. The, that cross-country story, the speech impediment story, it's all in here. But there's another story. I was at a conference in Idaho for a 4-H group, and there was this student. He had some sort of condition. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I remember him like, I remember in my mind kind of, kind of feeling sorry for him at first, almost kind of judging him as if like, oh, I bet this kid is maybe not as blank as the other students. Right. And um, in the end, I, I, I call for a volunteer while I'm on stage and this kid who has this condition is raising his hand. And inside, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this kid can handle this. I don't want to embarrass him, right? 
but nobody else is really raising their hand, you know? So I'm like, all right, man, come on up. So he comes on up and we're doing this acting exercise to where it's going to be a day at school. I'm going to be the narrator of the story and I need my volunteer to act out what it looks like to be a super student. So I'll say something like, you know, it's lunchtime and then he goes and sits by his friends. So this volunteer has to go sit by the friends, act it out. Right. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, man, I'm not sure this might be, you know, a flop. This kid, his name is Lim, L-E-M. This kid was one of the best students to have ever done the exercise out of the hundreds of schools I've spoken at. He was like giving the animations. He was like getting everybody laughing. And I was just like on the inside, I was just like wrecked. I was wrecked (laughs) because I was like, I was so like proud of him, but I was also so like, I guess ashamed of myself. Like, right. man, how dare you judge this kid? Like, and he ended up being the best. Man, that's awesome. I remember a story um, where I spoke at a, at a big conference in like, you know, Massachusetts, a very influent area. And this girl, I think she was distraught. She was falling apart in her. She had a, she was an A student. And come to find out, man, her parents had criticized her because she had got accepted to Brown University, which is an Ivy League school, but she didn't get accepted to Harvard University. And her parents went to Harvard and her parents told her that she'll be second place the rest of her life. And what I've learned, man, in this journey is as being speakers, I, those stories stick with me because just like whether it's somebody with disability or somebody who problem is their problem in our world is like, oh, you didn't get accepted to Harvard. You know, and my mind is like, well, that's not a problem. But in her world, it was the end of the world. Yeah. And, and so I know that you mentioned uh, in your bio that there are times that you were the unmotivated motivational speaker. How do you motivate yourself on days you don't feel like motivated? I mean, I know sometimes I would fuel those stories as remembering, but if anybody understands anything about professional speaking, as much as we love the youth, love the audience, love being on stage, it takes a lot. (laughs) It takes a lot out of you and it takes a lot to be on. Um, And so on days you feel unmotivated, uh, how, how do you handle that, man? Well, I can tell you, part of my story is when I first became a motivational speaker, I just got married to my wife. And all of a sudden, I developed these symptoms of clinical depression. And I've n- I never had it before. I don't know why it came on. I mean, my life was good, but I didn't feel good. I had trouble getting out of bed. I felt so tired, like in my, in my head. My, my eyes were heavy. Um, my body was weak. I felt like this feeling of um, sadness and um, irritability, and it was just terrible. I mean, I tell students like I personally wasn't suicidal, but I remember thinking like I don't want to live this way. Like, and but what am I going to do? So I I tried you know getting professional help and doing different things, but I just couldn't find something that helped. But still, you know, I got to work. I got to go out. I got this motivational speaking job. So here I am going to schools to motivate when I feel completely demotivated. And at this time, I'm not telling any of the students on stage that I'm currently depressed. I mean, looking back, I don't know. Maybe I could have done that. But in my mind, I'm thinking like, what am I going to tell them? It's like I have no solution right now. And Besides, I'm giving this presentation that's like high energy and happy. So if I'm like, hey, guys, actually, I'm faking it and I feel like crap right now. And they'd be like, oh, that's weird. You know, <laughs> right. I just have to like hide it. But it was this like terrible, difficult, tough season of my life, which wasn't just like a couple months. It was six years. Wow. I didn't and, know it was that long, man. Wow. And, if, and you probably even know that because. Well, I didn't know it until I, you know, I kind of looked it up. I didn't even realize that until right. I was reading some. And I, I've met you and uh, wow, six years, man. That's a long well, time. We're so good at hiding things. We're so good at covering things up. And uh, unfortunately, my wife, she would get the worst of it because I'd be at schools on Instagram and stuff being like, hey, and I get home to her and I'm like, hey, yep, 
And sometimes we do that, you know, to the people closest to us. And uh, it was tough on her and it was tough on our marriage. And if it really wasn't for our faith, I don't know. We might not have made it through it, um, but I didn't give up and she didn't give up on me. And what I found that helped a ton was my diet. I found out I'm sensitive to gluten. I have a gluten uh, sensitivity. So this was so hard because there's things that we hold on to that hold us back. And we like it and we think it's giving us something, but it's actually taking more from us, whether that's your phone, whether that's, you know, your your bad habits or whatever. So I would I realized I read this book about, you know, your diet can affect your mood. You know, this doesn't apply for everybody, but I think there's a significant number of people who if they if they practice what I'm saying right now, they might feel way better. So I was like, fine, I'm going to do it because I wanted it bad enough. I had no other options, really. So I got rid of gluten for like a week and gluten's and everything. You got to look in, you got to look in cause it can be in sauces. It can be in a oh, spice. It can be in a gluten, gluten and sugar and like yeah. cornstarch. Yeah. <laughs> like everything. Yeah. So, so I was, I was strict on the diet cause I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I gotta do this right. And you'll be amazed to find out how much of a hold things have over you when you have to give them up. So if you're forced to like, you know, shut down your social media for a week, then you realize right. like, wow, how much is this really, am I addicted to it, right? So I got rid of gluten for a week and I was like, oh, I'm craving this, I'm craving it. But after like day four, five, the cravings went away. And then day seven, eight, my mind started clearing up. And all of a sudden it was like, I went back in time to six years ago and I had my life back. Now I supplement with some other things. I do Sammy, which is a natural supplement. Um, I also like with things in my diet. I don't. Um, I don't drink too much alcohol. I watch my, you know, caffeine. Other things that can affect your mental health. So I'm to the point now where I'm good. I'm. I'm like really good. I don't know if I'm a hundred percent. Mental health is something that can affect your entire life. But I'm. I'm way better than I used to be. So the, to, to, to circle this back around, I was demotivated, okay? Now I'm motivated again. But I think my motivation through all of that was my why. And my, my why, I have several whys. You know, one of my why is faith-based, you know, to live a life that, it, that you know, God is proud of. Um, my second why is my family, you know, my wife and kids. It's like, I can't just give up. They depend on me. And my third why is my future. Like, it's almost kind of like if you're given, if you're given like your little kid and your parents gave you $5 and they're like, Hey, go, go to the candy store and buy whatever you want. It's like, you don't want to drop that $5 bill. Right, right, like, right. You don't know when the next time you're going to get another $5 bill. And it's like, I want to spin this. Ooh, what am I going to get? Oh, you can't make your mind up because there's like, so I felt like my motivation was, man, I have one life to spend. That's right. And I, I'm young still. This was in my like 25 through like 23 through 28, like age range. So I was like, I have a lot of life still. I got to figure this out. I can't give up because I have a lot to spend my life on to make a difference, right? So I think that's what kept me motivated. And that's what continues to keep me motivated is those big whys. It's the things that I want to do with my life because I realize I have I have something. I have a, a million, quadrillion dollar bill in my hand because your life is priceless. And it's like, how are you going to spend it? I see a lot of people who and having been a full time speaker, uh, I think a lot of people, they they see the lights, right? They see the excitement. Like, oh, I want to be just like I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be this. But what they miss is the grind, right? You know, especially even when I was speaking, you know, I was my speaking was so heavy. So I wasn't so much a high energy guy. I'm talking about handcuffs, my dad committing suicide and all of this stuff. And then if you talk about that, it's my experience. So like after a while, I was like, man, I don't even want to talk about this again today. And uh, you know, as Brandon mentions, that sometimes even the people who are in the spotlight have to motivate themselves in a healthy way. I mean, how many times have we seen our favorite celebrity 
you know, get caught up in drugs or this or overdose or so many issues because a lot of times we're overwhelmed with the spotlight, but forget it still takes a lot for that, man. So first of all, I commend you for sharing that and commend you for finding a healthy means Mm -hmm. to get out of that because, you know, having been someone who's suffered even anxiety myself, I know how anxiety or depression I mean, it could be a little thing, you know, you drop a pencil and that could be your breaking point for that day. It's like, ah, you know, I can't even hold a pencil right. And and and, and that's the thing that I think is so important, man. So, brother, I commend you for sharing that and thank you that that you are on the other side of it as well. So. Amen. And and let me add this um, talking about, you know, to your audience about if people struggle with being motivated. There's a couple recommendations I want to make to you. One is there's things that can demotivate us, right? So I want, I want you to think about it as like, you know, like maybe a diet. Um, if, you, if you have too much junk food, it's, it's going to like make you feel bad. Um, if you, and if you have healthier things, it's going to make you feel good. We know this, right? So it's the same thing though with like not just food, but with your, with your social diet, right? Uh, the things you look at, the, your, your environment. So what I find is, if I start comparing too much and if I start looking at other speakers and start looking at my competition and I start to get this, like, I love the quote, comparison is the thief of joy. And and there's another quote by Bob Goff where he says, we won't be distracted by comparison when we're captivated with purpose. So I find that when I start to put my focus on what other people are doing or what I don't have, it really demotivates me or if I watch, you know, mindless media or too much of, you know, stupid social media stuff, it just gets me in this kind of like just trance. Right. Instead, it's almost kind of like, it's almost kind of like drugs, right? Right. Addict go to a drug to get a hit, right. To get that next high. But here's the cool thing. I go to my motivational stuff to get my next hit. I go to my Bible to get my next hit. And as Zig Ziglar said, you know, people ask me like, you know, they, they see something, they see an inspirational speech. They, they, they watch something inspirational, but it wears off. And Zig Ziglar says, you know, so does bathing. That's why I recommend it daily. Right. right. right? You get dirty. That's every day. That's why you take a shower every day. Right. So it's like you're getting hits of things every day. So we got to be mindful of, what are we putting into our system? So like we have to intentionally take that drugs, probably not the best example, but take that hit of that motivational audible book, you know, that motivational um, podcast you're listening to that motivational YouTube channel, you know, that Bible, that whatever th- those people that you're, you're, you're surrounding yourself with, those are hits that you're in, And I need that because the moment I stop getting those hits, that's when I start sliding to the other side. Yeah, I think what people don't realize, man, and this is this is a great discussion, is that people don't realize, especially in this industry, you know, the professional speaking, I would even relate it to like the the upcoming new uh, artists, you know, whether you're singing, you know, et cetera, is that it is so easy to compare yourself. You know, you look at your calendar and you might have four events this month and then your counterpart has you know 40 events right in the same month or and then because i've done it myself like man i know i'm better than that guy or i can't believe they and and what i have learned in my experience is that we have to have a creator mindset not a competitive mindset Mm -hmm. and that's what really you got to separate yourself because if you begin to compare yourself uh to other people, you're going to try to minimize other people. Oh, you know, I'm taller than them. I'm this and that. I'm, I'm better than them or I'm you know, whatever. Uh, you're going to compare yourself to other people and not really use your own gift. I've, I've been so bad, man, where I remember being at a conference and I kind of knew who they had the year before. And so, and I kind of asked a couple of kids, well, how was that guy last year? <laughs> you know, just to, just to kind of feel what I was working with, man. And, and I realized I had to catch myself because I realized, you know, we get into this industry, the speaking industry, because we got a message and we want to be unique. But at the same time, if we don't catch ourselves, we're comparing ourselves and trying to outdo the next 
lady or a guy. <laughs> I like that. You know, I heard something somewhere about there's a fine line between artists and a plagiarized jurist, right? Because it's like an artist, what they do is they get inspiration from things and people like right. Michelangelo, whoever, you know, there's no original artist. Everything you we create has been influenced by some inspiration that we've seen. Right. right. So it's like there is a place for comparing. You know, we need to do that. But but like you said, like you got to have that that mindset that is creation. Like it, it's like, what are you creating? OK, so you see that. But what what can you pull from that? Add it to your uniqueness and create something original instead of just doing a, a copy. Right. Right. So check this out. Purpose based or fear based. Fear based is like you're avoiding something like I don't want to be a failure. OK, so right. I'm going to stay just far enough away from that failing threshold that I'm not a failure. OK, but that doesn't mean you're like excelling great either. It's like I'm going to get a D in school because I'm not failing. Right. So a fear based will keep you just far enough away from that fear to make you safe. Whereas purpose based thinking is taking you towards your focus is on the A, not the F, right? Fear-based, your focus is on the F. Purpose-based, your focus is on the A. So I think with that mindset, that's the same thing with comparison, right? Comparison is like your focus is, is on that person, right? Whereas purpose-based, your focus is on the people you're serving and how you can help them instead of how you can be more like that person. That's powerful, man. I told my daughter uh, the other day, um, you know, and I think John Mason had the wonderful quote, you know, if you're born an original, why live your life like a copy? And I told her, you know, if, if you're trying to be my daughter's 13, if you're trying to be like this girl or that girl, then the best you can ever be is number two. Um, and so don't try to be like everybody else. And that's awesome, man. And and when you talk about uniqueness, I did want to ask, I, I noticed that you had some unique experiences, Brandon. So you've been on some TV shows and appearances. And why don't you share with the audience some of the cool shows that you've had an opportunity to be on as well? Yeah. So I got involved with wheelchair ballroom dancing when I was in college. And I got the privilege to dance with some great ladies who use wheelchairs. And one of them, her name was Joanne, and she and I were featured on this documentary that was on TLC, Discovery Health, Fit TV. Wow. And it's all about, you know, her seeking her dream to be a dancer amidst these stereotypes that people in wheelchairs can't dance, right? Wow. So it's like overcoming this, not only like stereotypical mindsets and opinions from others, but her own self-doubt, right? So it was a beautiful documentary and she ended up, you know, we did a great job went to a competition, performed. It was a great documentary, great experience. Taught me a lot too. Um, I often tell students that happiness isn't having the best of things. It's making the best of things. Cause I know, I know a lot of people who have more, but they're miserable. And I know Sorry. a lot of people who have less and, and they live joyful purpose driven lives. So, so there's that. And then I was on this like um, this small game show that was on online, but I didn't win. Um, but then I didn't give up. I was watching the Wheel of Fortune with my wife and I was like, hey, let's audition to be on the show. And, you know, not everybody is like big risk takers. And right. some of that some of that's just your personality trait. And that's OK. Like, it's OK if some people are a little more conservative than others. That makes the world more balanced, right? But I was like pushing her. I was like, let's do it. And even like without her permission, I went on my phone, submitted a video through the Wheel of Fortune website and said, hey, my wife and I, we think we can win Wheel of Fortune. And if you just give us a chance, I, you know, I was like hyping it up. And so we get this email. They said, hey, we loved your audition. We love the energy. We want you guys to come to a live audition. She was freaking out. She was like, no, no, no. Like, I, I don't want to go uh, on the show. I don't want to go on the show. I'm, we're going to, what if we lose? We got like our whole family's going to be watching. Like millions of people are going to watch. What if I say the wrong letter? And she's like freaking out. And I'm like, hey, like fear-based versus purpose-based thinking. 
And I'm like, hey, what if we win? You know, what what if we even win, you know, $5,000? Well, think about the amazing story we can tell. Our kids, our grandkids. Right. So I convinced her to do it. But here's the next part that's so important. It's not about the opportunity because opportunities will come. That's right. It's about being ready for the opportunity. And I downloaded the Wheel of Fortune app. I got on Google. I just like, how do you win Wheel of Fortune? And I learned all these tips. The most common consonant is T. The most common vowel is E. If the theme of the puzzle is what are you doing? Don't guess a T, guess an N. Because it's going to have an ING in it going to right. the point. And then buy a vowel, buy the I. So there's all these things you can do, right? But people don't think like that. They just get on the show and they're like, don't <laughs> you. X. Yeah. Like, no. So, so long story short, or shorter, we ended up going on with a fortune. We won it all. Uh, get out of here. After taxes, we won about $30,000 cash and a trip to Disney World that was paid for. Awesome, man. So that's awesome, bro. Beautiful memories with the family at Disney. Be great memory in California. Pat Sajak. <laughs> Pat Sajak is a funny guy. Anna White is so authentic and nice. Oh, man. And then look, content for me as a speaker to tell the students that I speak to, you never know unless you try. And be prepared when you do try, right? That's awesome, man. Now, I know you mentioned ballroom dancing, but how did you end up, end up uh, an instructor? I know you talked about and I heard you mention that in your speech before, but how, how did you, people just don't fall into that. And did you have your like high waist pants or your pants up to your neck? Like somebody. <laughs> My dance <laughs> pants. Those are called yeah. dance pants. Bro. Dance pants. <laughs> yeah. You get those Latin pants. They go up right here. <laughs> and you get the movement going on. So this was, um, this was pre-speaking. So I wasn't even a motivational speaker yet. It was in college. And one of my friends, she, she's like, Hey, let's go to this uh, dance studio. Do, do something fun. So we went and I was like, hey, I like this. And the instructor, I mean, the owner of the studio, he was like, we're looking for more guys to be instructors because it can be hard to find guys to be instructors, right? And I was like, I needed a job. I was in college. I was like, let's do this. So I went from my first lesson to becoming an instructor. But they put me through like a boot camp, you know? But I, I, I promise you, like, they, they, they rushed me through that boot camp because I was not ready on the first lesson. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, this is how you do this move. And it was like totally wrong. And they just bought it. Like, oh, yeah, like this? I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I got paid for it. So uh, That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, Brandon, let's pivot a second, man. Let's. I, I know you, you've been working on uh, some, some faith-based stuff and working with guys. Why don't you share with our audience? Uh, what, what's that about? Yeah, so my main job for the last 11 years has been motivational speaking to students around the country. And uh, what's most important to me, though, is my relationship with Jesus Christ. It, it really makes who I am. My wife was the one who baptized me um, when I was, uh, what, 23 years old. And uh, I'm a different person because of that. But while I'm speaking at schools... I can't just drop the gospel on them. So um, I've had some opportunities in, on social media to kind of witness to some students. But, you know, I got to be respectful uh, when I'm at school, you know, to separate religion from it. So I haven't had a lot of opportunities to use my gifts of speaking as much as I would like. So when COVID-19 happened, it was like, here we go. Like God has, I, I, there's a space here. And I pray that God uses me in this space to do something with it, right? Um, so I had this idea of helping men spark a fire inside of their hearts with their relationship with God and stoke it into greatness, to be the leaders within their communities, um, to, to, to improve their relationships with their wife and with their children, um, even with their careers. Because I look around and... You know, don't get me wrong, but I, I just feel like we're lacking in male leadership, good male leadership. I'm not talking about like fake, puffy, uppy, macho, you know, wolf of Wall Street leadership. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about the type of leadership to where your character is the strongest thing about you. And then everything else flows from that. You know, who you are in here is what makes you strong and successful out there. And unfortunately, I think our culture preaches the opposite. Be strong out here to cover up your weakness in here. You know, have money out here to cover up your fakeness in here, right? So I just see this opportunity to bring men closer to their true calling. And their true calling is to be a leader, a leader that is a servant, not someone who's a dictator, but somebody who's going to consider the other person's needs above their own, right? And lift, and lift them up. So I do this thing called uh, The Good Man. And The Good Man is uh, a website, followthegoodman.com. And it's also basically, you know, focused on Jesus Christ and uh, Jesus Christ being a man, but also God. Right. And and on this website, I have interviews where I've interviewed fellow Christian men about their struggles, about things they're going through. And then we're basically iron sharpening iron. We're learning from each other and then sharing it with the viewers. The other thing is wake up Wednesdays every Wednesday morning. I'm up 545 Central Time leading some interactive worship with each other. Uh, not like playing guitar because I can't sing, but prayer, um, giving a, a short sermon, giving a call to action, a challenge for men, basically starting their day right, putting on the armor of God. And I'm not making any money off this yet, but I'll tell you what. This in the past, you know, year has been more fulfilling to me than even my motivational speaking, because I feel like it's more important because it doesn't matter at the end of your life. If you've been successful in making money and and even making a difference, that's great. But if you don't know your creator and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? I agree, man. I think that's, you know, one thing I must have, my son is eight and every day, uh, you know, two things that I share with him. I said, what is boundaries and boundaries is knowing when to stop and what is character Character is doing what's right. And I let him know, I said, son, a lot of people think you're charming. You know, you're eight, you're cute, you're, you're funny, but I'm not raising you to be charming. I'm raising you to be, have character. And one thing I noticed in a speaking business, and I can speak for myself, is that I was making a difference on the stage, but I wasn't always making a difference in my house. And, and, and a lot of it's hard for a lot of people to reconcile that. But having seen both sides of the fence, having been in an audience captivated about, wow, that guy's a motivational speaker and I want to do that. And then having been on stage and know what behind the scenes and and sometimes the pressure, I mean, it's. When you're gone from your family, when you're not there for your kids, not always a, in a bad way, just because the nature of the beast uh, traveling a lot, it can have a, a an impact. Uh, it will have an impact. <laughs> you know, fortunately, it'll just play out in your favor. And so I even had to go through the process as a man of really what's more important. And I really had to ask myself some things of at the end of the day, what do I want to be remembered as? And I had to look in the mirror, you know, yes, it's great to have be one of the best ever to do it, as we'd like to say. But man, how do my kids view me? You know, how does my wife view me? And I'm really being a man of character. What has this process of doing the good man taught you, I guess, about yourself? Well, first of all, let me say that. We all remember our fathers, not for what they did but what they did with us. And um, like, like my father, like he was successful. He had very successful businesses, but that's not what made the impact on me. It's every time he played basketball with me. You know, it's every time he got the glove out and threw the ball, you know, and the greatest impact on a child is the parent. That's the greatest impact. Is that that's that's what either you know sets the it sets the foundation or it sets a weak foundation right so that's why i feel like the good man's so important because sure we can we can focus on building up students but you want to know the most powerful thing to do build up the fathers 
so the fathers can build up the students because the students are at home. Right. You know, the, the students are at school for so long, but they're also at home. But anyways, to, to circle back around, what it's taught me about myself is, I think, identity. You know, I thought of myself as a motivational speaker first and a Christian second. I mean, Christianity was always a huge part of my life. Don't get me wrong, but I always kind of presented myself as like, well, I'm a speaker. I'm motivated. That's what I do. But now I'm starting to see myself as, no, I, I'm a Christian first. And I do motivational speaking as a job, right? And here, here's the other thing that's changed so much in my life. I'm experiencing the joy of being a Christian. Because a lot of people, they're Christians, but they don't enjoy it. Right. It's a duty. It's a, a list of things you can't do. You can't do. It's obligations to on, on Sunday, right? And I've lived that where parts of it would be kind of like, yeah, this is good. But a lot of it would be like, oh, I don't know. Like, I just got to like make sure I live the straight and narrow, you know? And I've been trying to wrap my mind around this. Like what has changed in me in the last six months to a year? And I think it's I'm forcing myself more into my identity by putting myself into a position like the good man where, where I'm leading it and I'm speaking on camera and I'm, I'm helping other men. It's helping me hold myself accountable. Right. Also, it's um, I don't know. It might be supernatural. It might be the God's just giving me a greater dose of faith and, and the spirits working in me greater than before. It might not be so much what I'm doing, but what I'm allowing the God to do in me, because I feel like I'm more open than I used to be. I, I'm taking a step forward. I feel like w when we give five, God will give us 10. If we go a little bit, he's going to go even more. So in the last six months, I went a little bit more than I've ever went with sharing my faith, witnessing to people, starting the good man. And I feel like my heart is different. I have this joy that I, re that I really didn't have. So maybe that's because I'm allowing God to work in me. So I, I, I encourage everyone watching, if you're not experiencing the fruit of your faith, I, I just encourage you take a step of faith and start to live out that identity. And that step of faith might be going to your knees first, right? And then asking God where God will give you richly. And give you, if you want more faith, if you want more joy, pray for it, seek it. And uh, from my experience, um, you'll find it. Yeah, I had to learn that, you know, we, we are not necessarily what we do, right? Tiger Woods is a golfer, but it's more toward, you know, about his life than just being a golfer, right? LeBron James is a basketball player, but he does more than just play basketball. And I think as a speaker for so long, you know, you become locked into an identity. Um, like I, I was listening to a, a, a video or a radio show the other day and a guy said, I'm known as this guy. And that's who people know me as. But one thing I like about as what you're saying is that our identity really has to be rooted in Christ. And all of these other things are just monikers or other names that we can say, you know, yes. I, but first and foremost, I'm a Christian. And yes, I, I can speak. Yes, I can do a podcast or yes, I can do this over here. But first and foremost, those are just gifts that God has given me. And I'm just utilizing my gifts as a Christian. And I think that's a good point that you talked about. And I think you raised an excellent point, Brandon, on the importance of, heck, if, if we had better men in the homes, then we wouldn't have to work so hard on the stage. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, I mean, it's, you know, fathers really make such a difference in a home. And one thing that's just been on my heart as well of why do you think that so many men are not stepping up to the plate and being the fathers and men that they should be? Well, ever since you're a kid, ever since you're in school, the idea, the idea of a man, of a successful man, is not a godly husband, not in culture. Right. That's not what culture promotes. Growing up, when I was in school, being a successful man was being rich and famous, being a ladies' man. Right? 
So whether I'm reading GQ, I'm listening to you know rock, uh, pop, rap artist, whatever. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm watching MTV or I'm, I'm, you know, like that was kind of the idol. You know, even professional athletes. It's not about how they're great family men. First and foremost, it's about how they're the best. They're number one, right? So it's this concept of being a man is um, is strength not being vulnerable um it, it's it's being uh, better than others it, it's being flashy it's it's right it's kind of this cowboy kind of mentality but that's not the biblical image of a man a biblical image of a man is still strength in fact it's stronger than everything i just mentioned right because everything i just mentioned it's like the guy with the big flashy car, nothing against flashy cars, but sometimes the car is to compensate something, right? So it's not that that person's strong. It's that they're in fact, they're weak. That's why they're having to have the big job or the big money to make them feel like a man, right? So a godly man is someone who's truly strong and their strength is in Christ, right? So. I always say this, our humility is God's doorway. And the reason why a lot of people aren't experiencing God in their heart is because their door is shut. They don't want to be vulnerable. That's scary. They don't want to talk about their feelings. They don't want to open up and get on their knees and raise their hands. You know, they don't want to ask for forgiveness because that's scary. That's not what culture teaches men to do. And even women kind of get freaked out when men get a little too sensitive. It's like women want their men to be strong. I think culture kind of right. promotes that too. So it's like, you know, crying during a movie is kind of, it's almost kind of funny. Like, oh, the guy's crying during a movie. Right. It's a joke. It's a joke. And uh, I, I think to me, men, a lot of men shy away from their roles because they lack accountability. And when you lack accountability, you lack restraint. So I think, you know, you, you watch certain men grow up but at, on one hand, you see them doing great things. On the other hand, you see them in all their vices or all their issues. And we're taught, you know, that's how men are or all men are this, or all men are that. And that's one thing that we have to do, really just change that mold of what a strong Christian man even looks like. You know, as you talk about growing up, you know, you're not, you know, people don't just say, hey, you know, look at the pastor per se. You know, look at the guy who's over here, the guy who's running this business or this guy or that guy. Um, and because they look at the kind of the same way they looked at Jesus, you know, he's meek and mild, right? Some, some tender sheep. But I really think a man who has restraint is probably the strongest of all the men, you know, guys who have boundaries and accountabilities in their lives. And that's something that I've learned, I would say over the last seven years, um, that I have, because I know I have a strong personality myself. So I have strong men in my lives who are willing to say, no, Alton, you, you know, you need to do that or you need to do this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we need that accountability. Um, and I think it's it's like working out. It, it, it's like a habit. The more you do it, the stronger you get, the better you get. If you do something once, it's easier to do it twice. And that goes with your bad habits. Also, the more you give in, the easier it is to give in. But when you say no to something once, it's easier to say no to something twice. That's right. But when you have that accountability, when you have those friends and you have those filters, all that stuff helps. It, it really does. Like all of us, I've struggled with vices and bad habits and things while being a Christian, you know, throwing right. my side, like, hey, you can still be a Christian and still struggle with sin. That's normal. Right. But what I found was I was really plateauing. And here's the problem with plateauing. You get discouraged. You, you start to feel bad about yourself. You start to almost resent God because it's like, God, why aren't you helping me get better? Like I'm praying and nothing's changing. It, it can start to harden your heart. Being defeated too long can make you feel defeated. I tell people it's hard to, it's hard to enjoy being a Christian when, when you're trying to have uh, one foot in the world and, and one, one foot in the spirit. It's like, it's like you're trying to play for both teams. It's like you're trying to enjoy sin, but you can't because you feel guilty. 
And you're trying mm -hmm. to enjoy God, but you can't because you're not disciplined enough or you're not humble enough, right? You're in this middle ground. And I feel like I'm just committing more to the home team. I feel like I'm just stepping more on this side. And the closer I get to God, emotionally, spiritually, the less I want sin. But the closer I get to sin, the less I want God. Man, that's beautiful, man. I know I've heard several songs. Uh, one I remember in particular, the artist was talking about no gray. You know, we're living in that gray area, that lukewarm yeah. area. And I think that's the thing that people got to realize is that your object as a Christian is to make sure that when they open the closet, it's empty. Yeah. Right? That there's no skeletons in your closet. And, you know, and as you're saying that the closer I get to God, the more I know that I'm every little nook and cranny in my closet, those yeah. things are coming out to the surface. So for guys who want to become a part of that, um, I know you mentioned a 5.45 a.m. Is there like a, do they just find it on a Facebook page or how can they listen in? If they, if yeah, interested? it's live, but there's also a replay. So okay. you can see all of it at followthegoodman.com. And okay. there's replays on there, there's interviews. And then on Facebook, follow the good man, facebook.com slash follow the good man. So yeah, like, follow, subscribe, tune in, put it on your calendar. If you want to join live 5:45 AM central time Wednesday. Um, but even if not, there's, there's other resources on the website. I'm just praying that God's will be done. Right. God gets the glory. And I just want to be a vehicle. And I, I want this to be a movement that grows to where men see other men stepping up. And that gives them permission to step up. It gives them courage to step up. I think men need leaders to emulate, to be like, okay, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be like. And then they can join it. I'm just helping set that, that foundation for them. Man, B, this was great, brother. This was fantastic, man. If you could leave us with any parting words, uh, Brandon, what, what would you like to share, sir? I mean, every time... I know this is kind of cheesy. I've heard it before, but if you put your hand to your heart and you feel that heartbeat, those are seconds on the clock that's ticking down and you don't know how much time you have. You might have a month, you might have 50 more years. And I think it's not about the quantity that we live, but the quality we live. Jesus lived 33 years. It was enough. However long you live, let it be enough by what you're doing, but more importantly, who you're becoming. Get rid of the junk. Stop watching things, seeing things, doing things, listening things. That is an oxymoron to who you want to be. Bad in, bad out. Good in, good out. So you got one life, man, start living it how you want to live it. Be who you want to be so that when you die, you don't have as many regrets. And when you die, you look back in your life and it's like, this is a life I would want to live again. That's right. But you won't need to because, hey, it's not about this life. There's eternity to come. Hey, man. Thanks, B, man. It's a pleasure, man. Uh, we got to do it again, bro. God bless. Thanks, all. Thank you again for your time today. And remember to subscribe to our podcast, rate our show and share with others. You can also view us on the web at www.blackmovesfirst.com. My final charge to you is, what move will you make today to change your world? Stay positive, and I am your host, Alton Jameson.